My name is Kate the Socialite, and you're listening to episode 241 of The Kate Show. You know, starting a brand new business brings up a lot of emotions for most women. We question our worth. We aren't sure if our clients will ever take us seriously. We question our abilities. We aren't sure how much to charge for our services. And yet, we are so excited to be doing the thing we feel called to be doing. We can almost taste the success. We can almost smell the delicious scent of victory, which, at least in my brain, smells just like freshly baked bread. But how do you bridge the gap? How do you go from clueless about running a design business to curious about how many amazing things you could just accomplish if you moved forward with confidence instead of confusion or fear? Today's guest on the podcast has not only grown her own thriving design business, but she also hosts a podcast for design newbies and offers resources tailored to their needs. If you're new to the design industry and looking for a roadmap that will show you how to set up your design business properly, this episode is for you. Rebecca Ward is the CEO and principal designer of a top residential interior design firm in Sacramento. With over 15 years of experience, she's an award-winning certified interior designer in California and started her career by achieving her NCIDQ certification. Rebecca specializes in creating modern, inviting spaces for busy families, adding purpose and beauty to every home she touches. Beyond her design work, she's passionate about helping others kickstart their interior design careers. In 2021, she launched My Design Mentor, a program aimed at guiding aspiring designers to success. In 2022, Rebecca took her expertise to the airwaves as the host of the Design Curious podcast, where she shares her insights with a wider audience curious about the world of design. Committed to her local community, Rebecca organizes monthly meetings to support fellow designers and their businesses. When she's not immersed in design, you can find her singing alongside her attorney husband in an acoustic duo band. Family time is also important to her, too. She enjoys creating memories with her two children and their lively Labradoodle. And guys, I loved having Rebecca on the show. She brought a lot of value in a short amount of time. And I highly encourage you to check out her podcast, Design Curious, when you're done listening to this episode. Now, before we dive into the conversation, I would like to thank Side Door. As an interior designer, you might feel like the only way to make more money in your business is to work harder, longer, hire more people, get a bigger space. And that's not always practical or smart. Side Door gives you another option. You can sell trade-only products and earn an average commission of 30% on each sale, selling the same decor, furniture, and accessories that you would be sourcing for your clients anyway. Not only do you have income potential that just doesn't exist anywhere else, but you also don't have to worry about inventory, handling orders, shipping returns, customer support, you know, all the things that will really stress you out and drag you down because Side Door does all of that. You get to curate products so they look good together in a room, make the sale and get paid. You can sell each package over and over again. And it's all because Side Door has created a smarter way for you to scale your design firm. To earn money with Side Door, apply to join them. Go to onsidedoor.com to get started today. This episode is also brought to you by HoneyBook. If you're looking for a way to streamline and automate your client process, which is really a lot of what we're talking about today with Rebecca, look no further because HoneyBook can automate your client bookings, questionnaires, contracts, and invoices. You won't have to remember to send the client a reminder or a contract or a form or a proposal because HoneyBook will do it for you. Go to honeybook.com and use the code socialite to receive 50% off your first year. 
All right, guys, let's get into my conversation with Rebecca. Marketing your interior design or home staging business should be easy and relational. My name is Kate the Socialite, and I believe in action, not just ideas. And I share strategies that have proven to work right here every week. If you're serious about growing your business in the home industry, you're in the right place. Welcome to The Kate Show. Hello, everyone, and welcome back to The Kate Show. I'm here with Rebecca Ward. Rebecca, thank you so much for taking time to be on the show today. Thank you, Kate, for having me. It's such a pleasure to be here. Yeah, I love interviewing other podcasters, as I told you before we started recording, because not only do you have all the nice right equipment to make the audio sound good, but you know how to bring a lot of value through audio. And with you having your own podcast, Design Curious, which I encourage everyone to go listen to, you know how to put a lot of helpful information into a shorter amount of time. So... Mm -hmm. I would just like to get a little bit of context about you. So tell me, when did you launch your design firm and what struggles came with that when you were design curious, when you were in the ages of growth? Yes. Yeah. So I had a lot of struggles starting out my firm because I got my business license as the economy was starting to tank in 2007. I was working for a model home designer and production homes were kind of the first thing to get cut in the line of the construction industry when the recession started to hit. So I got laid off from her. I got my business license. I had a friend say like, oh, I'd love help with my house. Could you come help me out? And so I kind of did that on the side. But meanwhile, I had worked for several other people, um, an architecture firm and another designer before ultimately going completely on my own in, in January 2009. So I had a lot of struggles just because of the economy at the time, but also I think like every other designer starting out, I had confidence issues and general business knowledge issues. I was gleaning business knowledge from the one class that I had in college, as well as just peeking into the business of the people that I was working for. So I didn't get exposure to everything, but to some things. And so I kind of just had to remember how they did it and kind of emulate that in my own business. So it was not very structured when I started out. And I think I had a lot of complications because of that. But yeah, I think the the recession was one of the main struggles that I had starting out. Mm-hmm. Yes. And 2008, I mean, I, so I wasn't out of high school quite yet. So I was oblivious to most of the world. Let's be honest. That's how high school is out But I have heard so many of my clients reference 2008 as a starting point for their businesses as well. And Mm -hmm. I just want to applaud you and them for starting your business in a dire time. Yeah. Because that shows you don't have to wait for the quote unquote perfect time to start a business. There is no perfect time to start a business. You Mm -hmm. just have to do it. And whether you start in a good economy or a not so good economy, pretty much all of us are a hot mess for the first two years when we start a business anyway. So you might as well just go for it. Yeah. Yeah. When you started in 2007, 2008, did you learn anything along the way that you feel has shaped who you are today as an entrepreneur? Yeah, I think that at that time, I was kind of desperate for knowledge. And so I learned that I needed to kind of outsource some of that knowledge and like 
lean into maybe getting a little more confidence either through taking certification. So I took the NCIEQ at that time. I joined my local ASID chapter and started seeking out the design community around me and trying to learn from those designers a little bit more about business or through taking CEUs. But still, I felt at that time, there wasn't a lot of sharing, a lot of community knowledge between the designers. So I feel like that has shifted since then. But the fact that there wasn't a good resource for me to go to or people just being open and honest about what they were charging. I had no clue what to charge, like, except for what I'd seen my designer that I worked for charging. But I felt like I couldn't do that. He'd been working for 30 years and I was just starting out. So I felt like, okay, I can't charge what he was charging, but then what do I charge? So obviously we started out undercharging, like most people do. And I also try to get really scrappy and resourceful at the time too. So I, I started a blog as I'm very into checking out what's coming down the pipeline for new marketing or new, like what are, what are people doing to promote their businesses? And at that time in 2008, blogging was huge, uh, really starting to take traction. And so I started a blog, a fellow designer who is really successful at hers. I went to a blogging conference for women so I just started looking into all these things. I went to my first furniture market because I knew I had to start getting resources and vendors to support me. At that time, I really had to, and because it, things were so slow, I think because I didn't have a lot of clients right off the bat, I had to invest a lot into myself and into the business and take that time to really try and set it up the right way. But of course, I didn't really have a coach or a mentor who could show me all the right steps. I just had to piecemeal it together as I went along in those first few years. And well, it makes sense that now you are so passionate about helping people who are in your exact situation of just like, why piecemeal it when you could just work with you or one of your programs? Because it's hard. I mean, I remember experiencing that in my own business too, even though I'm not an interior designer, the confidence issue just is like a gray cloud over everything. Mm -hmm. And then when you add on top of it, I want to make money because that's the whole point of this business. But what the heck do I charge? Yeah. And yes, you're right. Like most of us, 99.9% of us as female entrepreneurs always undercharge. Not even like in just the beginning of our businesses, but like throughout the years, we might have to look back on pricing and be like, why am I still charging this little? Yeah. yeah. Because there's like a whole strategy behind pricing and pricing yourself too low will make you look unvaluable to the client. And that's something that I had to learn the hard way as a new entrepreneur. And it mm -hmm. sounds like that's something that you had to experience as well. But yeah. let's contrast that with where you're at now. So mm -hmm. what does your team look like? Who is your design firm's ideal client? I want to give people a nice before and after. Yeah, so now 16 years later, I have two employees, and uh, one of them is my project expediter. She does admin. She's also trained to be a design assistant. She's in design school right now. So she's a huge help, keeps us organized. And then I also have an interior designer who's been with me for over five years now, and she's on her way to being a senior designer, definitely taking on the lead role in a lot of projects. So the client that I work with a lot now is someone who kind of looks a lot like me in my situation, which I feel 
a lot of designers do kind of resonate with their clients or they're seeking out clients that are kind of in their situation because they can speak the same language. You know, my husband and I were a professional couple. We have kids, we have pets, we have busy lives, and a lot of my clients do too. So I can speak to the fact that you know, we want family-friendly fabrics and the dog's doing this. And we need a special bin for the dog food and we need like the dog wash and like all the things that come along with that I know my family has are the same issues that other families have. So that's kind of the client that I reach out to because it's so similar. We can speak the same language and I think it's very authentic when the client comes and finds that I can understand their struggles and their problems. Oh, absolutely. And being able to help the client see that you understand their very nuanced pain points will be that the clincher of like, okay, yeah, mm-hmm. I want to hire you versus someone else because you get me without me having to spend hours explaining myself. I mean, that is an intentional part of marketing, making sure that you mm-hmm. set yourself up so that you are relatable because not only is it easier for you to get inside the head of your client, but it's easier for them to know, like, and trust you so much more. So That is a really smart decision. And I would also like to ask you about one of the other decisions you made. Now, I believe on your website, you talked about how you have, or maybe it was on your podcast, you said you deliberately chose not to do any commercial design. You are just doing residential. And there are plenty of designers out there who do both. And I'm not going to sit here and say that's right or wrong, but I would love to know what is your take on that and why did you make that decision? Yeah, so starting out, I was definitely... A designer who'd be like, I'll take any and every job that comes my way and I hope I'll be happy for it. But and so I did do some like commercial. I worked um, on a cafe. I worked in some business lobbies and things like that. I just didn't enjoy it. And I didn't have the same spark and inspiration for those projects as I did for my residential clients. I just really love knowing that I can improve my client's life from the time that they wake up to the time they go to bed, when they're entertaining, when they're living their life. And that all happens in the home. And so that's what really inspires me. And I know that doesn't come through when I'm working on commercial projects. So I just decided I'm going to stay in my lane of what really I enjoy doing and focus on that. And, you know, once in a while, I might do a small commercial thing. If I had a residential client ask me to, like just yesterday, I did a, a paint consult for my client's office, you know, so I was like, okay, I'll come in and like, give me some ideas on colors, but really I'm not going to take on a full commercial job. Um, I don't even have the right vendors or resources to do that. I'd have to do a lot of research and legwork and it's just not in my wheelhouse. So I just decided to stick with residential. I mean, I certainly could do commercial if I wanted to certified in California, but I just don't want to. <laughs> Yeah. And you know what? It takes a lot of confidence to be able to say, I don't want to do that. So I'm not going to. Because to the people who say yes to everything, and we've all been there at some point, Mm -hmm. it trains us and it it can make us hate our businesses. And that's one of the saddest things to see in the entrepreneurial world is a business owner who now just hates, loathes her business, loathes her clients. Mm -hmm. Because it shows up in the marketing, it shows up in client interactions, even Mm -hmm. if they're trying to put their best foot forward. So I want to point out a couple things that you said, because it's, they're really uh, key things. The first one is that 
even though you're specializing in residential, it doesn't mean that other work won't come. And some of my clients, when I talk to them about niching down, they're like, but, but, but I don't want to alienate all these other people who might need my help and they don't fit inside my very specific client avatar. And right. you're the perfect example of you're not actually going to alienate that, but you're going to make your marketing a lot easier if you just focus on marketing to one specific person. Yes. hundred percent. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. And also, I think that taking on every single job definitely comes from a scarcity mindset. And I am more than happy to refer all the commercial jobs onto the other designers in my area who are really great at it. And I'd rather have the client work with that designer who can deliver something that's really beautiful and that they'll enjoy the whole process than they would working with me. Mm, yes. And when you do that, it just creates those long-term referral relationships. And the situation where the commercial designer then sends you residential work and like mm -hmm. that yeah. ecosystem of the design industry and it's beautiful. Right, right, yeah. So the other thing that you mentioned was you're passionate about residential design because you love the fact that you get to impact your clients' lives from the minute they wake up to the minute they go to bed. Mm -hmm. You understand something that a lot of new designers obviously don't. And that is a new designer from what I've experienced working with them feel like, okay, I'm just selling design services. But the truth is, that's not what they're selling. They're selling the lifestyle. And when you look at it that way, it becomes easier to put a higher, more realistic price on your services. Yeah. And it also becomes a lot easier to talk about and sell your services. Have you had that experience? Yeah, I think as I dig into like what really excites me about the design projects that I work on, that I can use that language in my copy on my website, my newsletters and things like that can really resonate with people because, yeah, it's more than just picking the right countertop. Like this is the countertop you're going to. You have to create a story around, you know, they're going to be baking cookies with their kids or entertaining their neighbors or, you know, it's, it's more than just that beautiful countertop it's going to be a part of their life and their lifestyle and so it's educating the client that you are not only providing a great service to of something that will look beautiful in the end which every designer probably does but you're also going to encourage them to live their life better and to the fullest and i'll be just perfectly suited for their needs mm -hmm. and being able to influence the way someone feels emotionally is actually so powerful because that changes how they feel about themselves, how they interact with other people. And I know I've said this on the podcast before, but it's something that I think needs more emphasis in marketing. People need to focus more on the result of the service they're providing versus the actual service they're providing, which is a bit yeah. counterintuitive. But those like you who've had more experience in business have figured that out naturally. So if we can help other people skip the years of floundering around like I have and get to the point, like, why not? Yeah. Today's episode of The Kate Show is brought to you in part by the Window Coverings Association of America. If you're an interior designer, a window treatment specialist, or an installer looking for business growth, listen up. With an annual membership to the WCAA, you'll receive trade discounts, ongoing education, and an exclusive listing in their homeowner-facing directory of professionals, which, by the way, guys, makes it a lot easier for people to find you. Whether you've been working in the home industry forever or you're fresh out of design school, the WCAA can help you take your business to the next level, whether you're just trying to scale up or you're just getting started. 
Go to WCAA.org for more details. Now, I want to switch gears a little bit and talk about the newbie designers that are already good designers, but perhaps they're not good business owners yet. What skills are you seeing they often need to improve on when starting their own businesses? Yeah, first of all, having some processes that are clearly defined and procedures that you follow every time with the project and a contract is very important because when you're starting out, and this is what I thought when I was starting out, is that it's just me. I'm the only one working in my business right now, so I can just do it however I want. But it really, then I'm inventing the wheel every time I redo a project. <laughs> you know, every time I come to a new project, like, oh yeah, I need to get this form and this paper and fill out this. And so if you can write out your process and your procedures ahead of time before you have that project, and it can adjust. I mean, it's like a living document. It's going to adjust as you learn things or as you discover ways that you like to work in your business. But having very defined process and procedures not only gives you confidence that you can run the project well, but it'll give your client confidence that they're hiring someone who can actually help them is going to deliver the product and not going to bolt in the middle of the project. You know, I like that you pointed out it's a living document, that process, because mm -hmm. there is a fear of like, well, I don't want to create a process yet because it might change. It's like, well, you know what? Over the years, it will. It's going to evolve. You're going to find yeah. better, more efficient ways to do things. New online tools will pop up that you'll be like, oh, that's cool. Let's implement that because it saves us time and money. But yeah, the process should be followed consistently with the flexibility of knowing that it, it will change. Mm -hmm. As an add-on question to that, if there is a newbie designer out there who's like, I want to have a system in place before I work with my first client, but how do I even know where to start? Like what should the process look like if I've never worked as a client? Sure, yeah. Nowadays, I feel like there's a lot of resources out there. I mean, there's a lot of coaching and um, podcasts like yours and mine. Also, there's a program that I offer, a mentorship program, where I do kind of spell out the process. So through mentorship, basically, I'm not necessarily coaching, but I'm showing them what works for me, and this is how I do it. So I kind of walk my mentees through the program of like, this is how I run my business, and you're welcome to run it the same way because it works for me. It will likely work for you. You can modify it or whatever. So I've already kind of laid it out for them and say like, here, you start with this, you call the client on the phone, and then you, you take these notes, and then you meet with them. And then you, this is the next thing you're going to produce. I think that is really going to be the number one way you can start out on the right foot is getting mentoring and coaching, mm -hmm. whether it be with me or anyone else out there who does a great job at it. Yeah, mentorship is a beautiful thing. And I like that you differentiated between mentorship and coaching, because I think coaching is great. I had a business coach, but what I have noticed is mentors are still doing, like they're still actively doing the thing that they're mentoring in. Coaches yeah. might have already sold that business or it's more of a side thing for them. And now they're just coaches, which is, like I said, great in and of itself. But for your mentees to be able to actively watch you in your business, making decisions in real time, doing the thing, that is, I think, almost more valuable when you're first getting started because sometimes you just need a path to follow. You need someone, the right someone to influence you. Yeah. In a way that still gives you room to go do it and make it your own. Right, right. 
Now, on that topic, this is a big question, but I have to ask, what's more important in your opinion, design talent or business acumen? I would definitely say business acumen. I think that you're not going to be in the field of interior design unless you have some talent. So most designers have some ounce of talent. They can see color. They can, you know, see, put a room together. But the business side of it is really what going to build your career, keep clients, have returning clients, have referrals. And so being able to run your business efficiently, it's something that's going to produce something that's beautiful, but also the client will not get soured by your poor communication or or even on your side of it that you've never invoiced the client because you don't have your program set up or you, you don't have any procedures. So you're just going to invoice them whenever you feel like it or whenever you get around to it. And then in the end, you're not getting paid or you're almost paying the client to do their job. So really having the business acumen, I feel, is the most important part of being an interior designer. Yeah, I would agree. And it's true, I would say, of really any business, but it seems like businesses in the creative industry, design, marketing, whatever it is, we tend to focus more on the creative work first. Like, let me just get the next creative job. Let me just get this done. Let me focus on the visuals or whatever it is. But when we can stop going and flip, I guess it's called freelancer mode and step into CEO mode. Now we're like, okay, it's not really just about one creative project after another. It's about how do we scale these projects? How do we get more of these projects? How do we get the right people in the right seats to run these projects? And that requires a certain level of knowledge and wisdom and willingness to keep learning. And mm. that's the part that I love the most about the design industry especially, is that all you interior designers are always learning something new. Always. Like there are new products coming out and there are different design styles to be implemented. There are unique clients to work with, but you don't just stop there. You don't just stop at the creative work. It always has to be this very delicate balance of let me be a great interior designer and an even better business owner. Yeah, 100%. It is. It is. Yeah. Having a growth mindset is one of my core values in my personal life and my business, because um, I, I encourage my team to keep learning. We have like book club and we're just always growing and learning things about ourselves, but also about the industry. Because you're right, there's just so much and you can't know everything. And that's why you also need a good network of tradespeople and reps, vendors who can educate you or be your source of knowledge when you need it for that. Like what kind of leather is best application for this? And you can go to your your rep who will know all of it. You don't have to be the person that knows every single thing because that's practically impossible. Yes, great point. You don't have to be the person who knows all the things or does all the things. You just have to be the person who knows where to find the information. Exactly. Yeah. And outsource and delegate to get all the things done. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah. There's still a lot of hats to wear even when you delegate too. So it's oh, yes. Yeah. Oh, so much. Now, okay, you said something else on your podcast that I want to ask you about because you are the second person that I've come across recently who said this, and it is the fact that you do not like the idea of charging your worth, which is very intriguing. So break that apart for me. Why don't you like it? I think 
I heard someone mention it this way, and I, I'm like, yeah, that makes sense to me, is that when you say charging what you're worth, it's as though you're saying you're only a person who is worth this much. And really, I know that this spirit of that phrase is like charging for your expertise. But people, I mean, everyone is worth so much more. People are valuable. They have so much more to offer than their expertise. And so I feel like saying charging what you're worth kind of downgrades a person's value (laughs) because there's so much more. I mean, I love I mean, my podcast is called Design Cures, and partly because I'm just curious. I love to get to know people and like beyond what they are as a designer or as a vendor. Like, tell me a little bit more about yourself. Like, there are so many aspects, and a lot of us are multi-passionate, and there's a lot of facets to us. And so, I think that when you say charge what you're worth, you're really worth like millions. Like, like there's so much more you could be charging, but like for your expertise as for this project as a designer then I kind of acquiesce to those phrase that charge what you're worth or charge more than what you're worth. <laughs> like, you know, be sure to value yourself. Yeah. Yeah. So maybe a good rewriting of that phrase would be something like charge according to the value you're going to add to your client's life. Yes. And suddenly that increases the dollar amount. Yeah. Yeah. Because if you're thinking about it, like I said earlier, like you're influencing their life from the moment they wake up to they go to bed and all the people that come into their home, that is a huge responsibility. You need to do your job well and you need to be paid well to think through all those details. Yeah. And yet there are designers listening right now who are like, I can't charge more yet because I'm new, because I'm in a certain area that just wouldn't allow for that. They feel Mm -hmm. these are all just stories they're telling themselves. What would you say to that person? I say I understand that feeling because I also at some point felt that. But I have found that every time I increase my rate, there has been zero pushback. And also it just (laughs) refines, refines the process to get me closer to my ideal client. So I would say I know it's hard to increase rate because you're worried you fall into that scarcity mindset. Like if I raise my rate, then no one's going to hire me. But really, you're raising your rate because you offer such a valuable service. It's not about you need to appeal to every person out there. You only need a handful of projects every year. So, you know, your rate's going to be fine for the right client. And maintaining that mindset is really challenging, though. So getting yourself surrounded by a community of designers or mentors or other business people doesn't even have to be in the design industry who are great at having a healthy money mindset that will help you stick to your guns when things are looking slim (laughs) yeah yeah because it can be easy to get yourself all amped up like all right yep i'm going to charge this and then you get one person who complains maybe one out of ten and it yeah. can be enough to just deflate us for a few days. It does, yeah. But we have to build that resilience. Mm-hmm. It can be hard, even after a decade in business, like for me. It can still be hard, but it's completely worth it. Because another thing that I have noticed is that often when we're just getting started in business, we have no mathematical reason for why we're charging a certain hourly rate or flat fee. It's just because it's the number that feels safe to us. Right. We never stop to look at, does this number cover my overhead? Does it cover my taxes? Does it cover anyone else I have to employ to get this job done? And then when they finally start working with a mentor like you or a coach and they realize they've actually been losing money, 
mm-hmm. or they've been barely breaking even, that sick feeling in your stomach feels much worse than just raising your rates ever would. Like there's a mathematical reason for the money you should be charging, not just because it feels good. Would you agree with that? Yes. Yeah, 100%. And I feel like there's a lot of pushback from the public for interior designers having higher rates only because I've mentioned before that they feel like, oh, we should be doing this because we love it. Like, wouldn't you do this as a hobby? And yeah, I might, but doesn't mean you shouldn't be paid less than $300 an hour. Like, you know, just because I love what I do doesn't mean I should be paid less at it. (laughs) So... Yes. Oh, that's such a good point. That's a quotable moment right there. <laughs> Just because I love what I do doesn't mean I should be paid less for it. Like, how dare you enjoy your job? Like, what, yeah. what are you doing over there? <laughs> <laughs> okay, so if you've got the designer who's like, all right, I get it. I've got to charge the appropriate amount based on the value I'm bringing to my clients. How on earth do I get my first few clients? Like, how do I do that? And like, there are so many designers with that question. Yeah, it's a tough thing because, you know, first of all, you got you do have to have some social presence, like start with your Instagram or whatever, your website, just some landing page for people to see. But really, when you're starting out, I always encourage people to do ask your family and friends and people that you know for just a vignette or just a corner of their house, like let you start practicing your procedures, like write it out and then do a practice run. And, you know, they're a lot more forgiving usually if you're learning on the job than maybe an actual client would. And I would encourage you to do those family and friends early on in your career. I feel like later on in your career, when your family and friends come to you, it's harder for you to stick with your procedures because you're wanting to be like, oh, this is just my mother-in-law or whatever. And like, I don't need to take her through the whole process. But I find if I get out of my process, then the project kind of like falls back to the back burner and it doesn't get processed the way a normal project would. But family and friends sometimes are expecting you to give them a cut or just expecting them to give special treatment. And really, you kind of have to run it through your business and just be business playing through the whole process. But if you're early on in your career, you can kind of have a lot more fluidity in that project as you're learning how to do it. And so I think it's great to reach out to family and friends and just be like, can I style your living room and take a picture of it? And, you know, or can I measure it and render it or, you know, something that will give you some experience and just every little project is going to give you more and more confidence to to go on to the next bigger project. Yeah, and that's a great way to build even just a small portfolio that you can put on your website. Or yes. if a designer is using Instagram as her living portfolio, it's something to put out there. Because what I often see is the new designer doesn't want to get out from behind the screen. Mm-hmm. And that is not I'm just going to say right now, not her fault, because we have been told for years now, if you're not posting constantly on social media, you're not going to get any clients. But what you're saying is the opposite. And I also completely agree with you as a marketer. Sometimes you just have to get out from behind the screen and go ask, can I do this? You know, it takes a bit of humility, but that's great. That's character building and it builds your portfolio at the same time. And yeah, we put too much emphasis on doing everything online. 
Yeah, for sure. And also, I guess one of the benefits of reaching out to your families and friends initially is like, I know you're big on newsletters, like that's a good way to start your newsletter, like to reach out through an email, start your list of getting all your family and friends on your list and be like, hey, I've got time, I want to work on some projects. Do you have anything that would work for me any small project? And I'd be happy to take it on. And this is my rate, you know. So yeah, I think that's that's a good way to start out. But definitely getting out. And people are more likely, I feel, to, even in this day and age, to hire you or trust you if they see your face and they've met you and they've talked to you. And so even getting out to network at local events and just talk about what you do and how, what kind of service you can provide to people, to whoever. Like, just become very social, like in the real life. <laughs> Yeah, yeah. Yeah. And maybe not worrying about having that perfectly scripted elevator pitch, but just showing up as a real human being. Yeah. And sharing about what you're passionate about, which in this case would be design and impacting people's lives. Right. Yeah. Tonight. <laughs> so cool. All right. So if somebody is like, I'm all in on this, I need to be mentored. What can you offer them and how do they work with you? Mm hmm. Yeah, so it's an online platform, and it does have a social aspect, kind of like Facebook or something where we have a community page and we can all talk about our problems and encourage each other. But it is a 12-module program. I kind of designed it so you could do one per month, but you can go through it as quickly or as slowly as you like. So there's 12 different topics that we touch on, things like practical skills, how to develop them, business practices, specializations like kitchen and bath client psychology, money mindset. So we kind of touch on all these different topics. And um, then you can schedule half hour calls with me to kind of talk about any questions you have, or if you're dealing with like your first project and you need to know, get feedback on some rendering that you did or, or layout, then you can just contact me or message me on the platform and I'm kind of available that way. And we also have in there like a book club, so recommended reading. I do a portfolio and resume review. So if you're thinking about submitting your resume to another designer, I can look at it and say like, oh, they're going to want these kind of skills or they're looking for this type of person to hire or your portfolio if you're going to go and, you know, promote yourself to a new client, kind of what the client would want to see. And then um, I also have in there as available kind of upgrade thing is a business starter kit. So it kind of has all the templates and checklists that you need to get your business off the ground and running if that's what you're wanting to do off the bat. So yeah, that's kind of the whole platform. It's called My Design Mentor and love having students come in and out of there and, and really making a difference. I had one student in there for over a year and she just kept um, tapping me for confidence as she was starting to get her own clients. And then eventually she also is working now part-time for another designer. I helped her with her resume. And it's just so satisfying for me to kind of help her get to from point A to B much more quickly than I ever did. <laughs> yes. Oh, I, like I said, mentorship is such a beautiful thing. When you can act as kind of like the big sister to all the other designers who are like, I see it, I believe it's possible, but I don't know if it's possible for me. And you've just made it possible. So that is amazing. And to everyone listening, if you go to rwarddesign.com, that's where you can get all the information about Rebecca's mentorship programs and you can check out her podcast. And your podcast is also on Apple and Spotify, right? Yes. Design Curious. Yes, Design Curious. I've listened to it. I think it's great. And you talk about all the really 
the hard-hitting questions that people have when they're starting a business. And I love that it's, again, very focused to just the, the newer interior designers who are often left out of the picture when it comes to design mentorship and coaching. Because it's always like, oh, well, here's how to scale your business. Here's how to get to the next level. But just like you said before we start recording, but what about actually getting started? What about yeah, like, I need to get on the first level to begin with. Like, how do I get from, from not being a designer to getting to that first level? And that's mm-hmm. kind of where the podcast and the mentorship program come into. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I'm glad you're doing it and it's much needed in this industry. So thank you again for coming on the show. It has been a pleasure. Yes. I'm so happy to come on. Thank you, Kate. And to everyone listening, thank you so much for being here. Keep your marketing simple, your message clear, and I will talk to you soon. Thanks for listening. Visit us at thekateshowpodcast.com where we empower home professionals with marketing confidence.